Hey, Peter. Hey, Justice. How you doing? All good. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. How are you finding the market right now? Um, well, the, it's still busy. Things have picked up a little bit on our end. Um, yeah. But, you know, still wouldn't be surprised if, we're, if we've peaked for the year, too. Yeah, no, I think that that's probably the case, right? Like, it, I think it, feel, it does kind of feel that way price-wise, but, like, it, it seems like volume's ramping up quite a bit. Like, we're actually seeing supply now. Um, and, like, I think everybody's it, – it does seem like most agents are busier literally just because supply's, uh, like, there. And, I mean, kind of like if you were out with a, with a buyer, like, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you were, like, showing them one property, right? And now, you're, now you have, like, four on the market, so you're show, you can show them, like, four properties at a time kind of thing. Um, which we just haven't seen in what, like six months. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been pretty tight for the first yeah. half of the year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. what do you think of uh, the Bank of Canada um, review? The financial system review. Did you get a chance to? Uh, Honestly, no. I've been uh, <laughs> full fledged. I've been busy with work, and then I've sort of been out with the stomach bug the last couple of days. So I haven't had a chance to do anything except lie in bed. <laughs> totally fair. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll read some of it because I think it's worth. Um, I, I don't think you actually have to get into like the full report just to read, like just to see kind of how like damning it is. Um, what they mentioned, I found it. I found it really interesting the language that they used, and it feels like the the narrative sort of like shift. Uh, shifted um, pretty quickly after that, I think. I just got to find the area where it talks about the summary. Um, uh, It says, in light of higher borrowing costs, the Bank of Canada is more concerned than it was last year about the ability of households to service their debt. More households are expected to face financial pressure in the coming years as their mortgages are renewed. The decline in house prices also has reduced homeowner equity. And some signs of financial stress, particularly among the recent homebuyers, are beginning to appear. A large negative shock, such as a global recession with significant unemployment that further depresses house prices, could increase loan defaults among households. If defaults on uninsured mortgages with negative equity were to occur at a large scale, they could result in sizable credit losses for Canadian lenders. This 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 next part is really interesting to me. Elevated funding costs and persistent periods of stress can reduce the capacity of the banking sector to provide market liquidity. This liquidity is crucial to financial stability, given the growing importance of non-bank financial intermediaries, such as asset managers, and their reliance on fixed income liquidity. Uh, If a significant spike in demand for liquidity were to occur, it could lead to a potentially destabilizing decline in asset prices. I I found it was like I don't know I mean you, you have, we haven't really heard this kind of narrative coming from the BOC like this almost like it, it seems sounds like almost like defeatist and like pr- that they're like pricing in a recession at this point which is oh alarming from my perspective I mean not not that like not that I wasn't uh, under the perspective that that would be the case but uh, it's just interesting that they're that they've arrived here I guess their models finally showing it and they like to inject like their in quotes, prediction a couple of minutes before it actually happens, right? Yeah, I guess they let it out as soon as it's inevitable, right? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, kind of, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, when I was at ULI like last week, uh, Urban Land Institute, and it was like, um, 
a bunch of people like anyone from the states basically was talking as if we were already in a recession or like going to be within like you know like basically the next time we get quarterly reporting it would be there um yeah so i found that kind of fascinating brent how's it going good man how are you doing good good what are you seeing in the market right now how's uh how's the market behaving volatile is the uh it's i guess it's the word of the year i don't know it's it's the word of the you know the week every week and pretty much every day it's it's like you know there's a lot of ups and downs there's there's fast changes um within the last like just to i i can talk a little bit to what i'm seeing you know boots on the ground our brokerage does just over a hundred million in volume we're not a huge we're not the hugest brokerage but we we do we do enough to to kind of have a good read on things and uh so we're in the last week we've seen a slowdown um now i would imagine that's you know there's some market forces there the spring market is is slowing down um you know people are i don't think they're getting to summer mode yet but you know i've heard from from some realtors that you know the buyers are starting to to pull back a bit with all the, the bidding and and just you know starting to slow down and we're seeing a decline in applications as well ever since this spike in the fixed rate we might have gone from oh let's just say five leads per day five to ten leads per day um down to the last few days it's it's probably be being under five per day uh, these are leads, not closed deals. And so so there's a definite um, slowdown. Um, but, you know, two weeks ago, a month ago, it was quite busy. Like it wasn't it wasn't 2022, you know, summer or spring of 2022 busy. Um, but it, it was certainly it was certainly uh, busier and, uh, you know, a lot more stabilized. And so I, I would expect uh, a bit of I I would expect, you know, this is you know it, it's hard to it's hard to forecast these days, but a little bit of softening coming up, even though it's you know we see some strength, a little bit of softening uh, hitting the numbers um, that the housing market over the next, you know, maybe not this month with the closings happening, but as we get into the summer, you know. A, a bit more of a pronounced slowdown in, in the growth, if not a downtrend in, in growth of of purchases or the um, uh, prices and and volume, even though it's already pretty low, um, just based on what I'm seeing from initial mortgage applications. Um, and so, yeah, that's there's a long answer to your short question. Things things have been busier, but again, they're starting to slow. And just, just while I've got you here and where you've, you know, we're, we're chatting kind of, just to touch on your, your other point about the, uh, the Bank of Canada, their reporting, um, you know, it, it, a lot of it, as, as you know, and I'm sure a lot of people in this room know, it's, it's communication and it's trying to set, I mean, it's trying to set expectation uh, for, for the population. And I think they want to, I think the Central Bank of Canada, you know, they're, as much as they mess up, they, they're obviously, there's a lot of brains behind there. 
they want to send a message, you know, stop spending. Um, if there's going to be a recession, you know, theoretically people rein in their spending. I think they're trying almost to um, not create a recession. I wouldn't go that far, but I think they're trying to do what they can um, to tap on the brakes further through this kind of communication. And you pointed out very well, Daniel, I, I don't know if you tweeted it today or yesterday. I think I saw it yesterday, but that it almost seems like the narrative has shifted overnight. And and I think I think you're kind of onto something there in that this is a news tactic to try to glide the economy down, to slow it, to get out that messaging without necessarily increasing rates another 0.25 or another 50. This may be another, um, you know, a strategy, if you will, to try to calm the economy. Because as much deterioration as there is out there, there is, I can go through a, a list of, you know, I guess points that, you know, that there's some deterioration in the economy, loan loss provisions increasing at banks. They've got a pretty good picture of things happening. There's, you know, commodity prices falling. The list goes on and on for deterioration, but there's also so much strength out there. There's just a ton of strength. I think people intuitively feel it too. Like whenever we go out, I mean, the Tanger outlet malls that are all over North America, they're seeing sales grow significantly. Um, there's still just a lot of strength. And it's this kind of strength that I think the central banks, the BOC, they're trying to moderate it with through creating this kind of messaging without necessarily needing to raise rates another half a percent or what have you. So that's kind of what I've been thinking and seeing over the last few days. And uh, yeah, not sure what you guys think or similar or, or different, but uh, yeah, happy to answer any questions or, or offer any other comments. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, I think that they, they want to do what you're describing for sure. I don't know if they'll be able to, like, I don't know if their success rate would be in doing that. It seems like, I, and I guess a lot of it's like the challenges. I mean, unemployment's still super low, right? Like, but I think they, they acknowledge that another 25 bips or another 50 bips or whatever it's going to take, like to get the economy, like they're kind of forced to overshoot. I think they were from the start, but they're kind of forced to overshoot and go hard landing and, I think they're kind of just like really hanging on to like even just I don't know take shooting their shot to see if they can go soft landing with some of like the narrative shifting and really like trying to instill a bit more fear and stuff like that. Like, yeah. but even CMHC like with the tweets from CMHC that were just like absolutely nuts, and then Stat Can coming out with this like investor report, and it just felt like I don't know there was like three or four like report like fed reporting agencies just like really slaughtering like, the <laughs> like, that past like week and a half yeah right? yeah well like we so. like we have our our month or our weekly uh you know our our, our twitter session with with you or our meetup with you i bet you there's you know they've got their own meetings whether it's representatives those federal agencies i think are absolutely um you know there's policy sharing and idea sharing and you know, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, but I, I don't think it's 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 that far of a leap to say there that they 
you know, say they're working together would, would not be far-fetched. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think that's conspiracy at this point. Yeah. It's just like, of course. Right. Yeah. Like I, th- I think, I think feel like that's just like kind of accepted. Like I, I would actually be like upset if they weren't like, you know, well, I mean? I, I, like yeah, I get that, but it almost I'm, seems like things that like the policy over the last, you know, like three, four, five years or, or longer with regards to housing. I mean, I, I guess I'm just so jaded. Like what the hell has been going on? You know, haven't they been working together? And I literally, it's all, I've become so dismayed and so disappointed by the, by the quality and, and handling of, you know, that just, I don't want to say everything, but a lot of things, you know, policy, um, misalignment, I mean, immigration's great, but but do it when you have the a proper infrastructure, a proper housing plan. It's like they haven't been working together, but but that that they, they may be learning now. They they may be starting to uh, to get on the right track, and I I hope that you know what what you're saying. It should be obvious. I I, I truly hope that you know that they are starting to align themselves to hopefully over the medium or long term get out of this mess yeah i don't know i mean i guess it is so funny right like i don't know if there is an out of this mess anytime soon from my perspective i feel like it's a long kind of thing like we're at like a secular low in unemployment like a record low in unemployment like i don't know like i think it takes a lot to get out of this like i i've i've said this for like years and i just i i end up like keep keep like feeling more and more this way that like the setup it seems very similar to the 90s from my perspective like it's actually going to take like a relatively sustained period of like suffering for this to like material like to to solve any real problems like we have a huge leverage issue that we need like we didn't go through a deleveraging like the u.s did no way like there's just so many problems here that I, i just don't know like i don't know if a soft landing or even like a quick recession like really fixes it I don't know if we want to deal with these problems again in 10 years, right? Yeah, for sure. It's, there's, there's certainly no straightforward answer. I mean, there, there could be, there could be a, an event that happens sooner and, and that does um, have a quicker effect, but, but I, I agree. I, I, like my bets are on a longer term solution, even just looking at housing and the population, like, it takes what you, you know better than me, three years, four years from, from, you know, a plan to actually constructing a house. It could be more like five years. And there's, there's just, there's just not enough housing in Canada, let alone in Ontario or, or, you know, Vancouver area. Just looking at that piece alone is like, that's, it's guaranteed to be a long-term fix just by virtue of it takes so long to build a house and, or, or, you know, a, 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 a tower or what have you. And so, uh, yeah, the economy, I mean, when we were first going into this, I had, I was looking at, I was and doing some reading uh, with regards to, okay, there's already so much debt out there. There's already like when, when, when the in in the eighties and the early nineties, when the rates went up to like twenty percent, there was a relatively a less amount of debt. So even though you know the rates were twenty percent, the mortgage rates are twenty percent plus. Well, the mortgage might have been twenty thousand or thirty thousand dollars. 
you know, I could put that kind of a, a mortgage on my credit card and I would. I know obviously there's inflation involved. Uh, there's times are different now, but but the point is, is that it's just the numbers are just way um, they're just way bigger, like that the 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 amount of debt has far surpassed inflation. I think it's about five or six times factoring in inflation, five or six times the amount of debt in both the private and public sectors. And so when we try to do a rough comparison and it's like, okay, we have all this extra debt. Well, shouldn't there be more sensitivity based on one, let's just say 1% of BOC increase? Would, would it not be a reasonable theory to think this might have approximately five times the effect? So what we're seeing with the 4.5% uh, BOC rate is, well, it's, if that's equivalent to about 20%, I mean, we're, we're still doing, and the economy's doing pretty well given this. And so these, these, kinds, of, these kinds of theories that me and some, other, some others have had um, going into this rate increase, it's just not materializing. It's like there's so much strength out there that, I mean, it just goes to highlight, I think, the fact that there are some problems. There's too much cash out there. There's too much strength to to go through that repair process that you're talking about. It's like, you know, the, a kind of a crude example is if you break your arm, it's really badly broken, to get it fixed, you got to put a, you got to re, you got to set it, you got to break it again, just to get it in place, to get it aligned. Then it can start healing properly. The way I see this economy right now is broken and unable to be set. And so, how do we get it in that cast? How do we get it set? I think it's just going to take longer. I, I agree. Like my initial uh, thinking has been. Um, you know, I, I, I still think there's relevance there, but it's certainly not happening happening as fast as expected. And so uh, I, I think it will just take time. I, I totally agree. Daniel, I would like to bounce an idea off of you because you mentioned the 90s. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, yeah, for sure. Because, you sure. know, the, the 90s, what's really fascinating to me is that the 90s crisis and savings and loan crisis, in particular in the U.S., which kind of obviously led the way for uh, whatever happened in Canada, too, um, it, it all began with obviously the Black Monday stock market crash that was in, in 1987. So then uh, it did take a while to reverberate towards the real estate. And the, the, the biggest difference, and this is what I would love to hear sort of the panel discussion here, is, uh, is that because of the stock market crash um, and the you know, hyperinflation that started following there and the doubling of the rates by the Fed, that led to massive unemployment, right? Uh, the difference being today, which I'm trying to reconcile, is that our unemployment is record low. Um, and, um, you know, Canada in particular, I just tweeted literally, I'd say, what, half an hour ago or so, uh, I saw the article that um, Canada has the highest data of uh, per cap, like per person, I guess, for um, housing of any G7 countries. Um, we also know that it happens to to have the lowest number of dwelling units per capita of any G7 countries. It almost feels too bloody obvious for anybody not to see uh, what's going on, right? Uh, and so, I, and, and to Brent's point, 
you can't build housing. I mean, we're, we're a developer. You can't build anything fast anymore. Municipal process, which used to, uh, one of my business partners started in the 70s. He's, this is, he's, in his, he's now in his 70s himself, but he started in the 70s. And, you know, the number of uh, years that it takes to bring a project to life has changed dramatically. Now it's longer and longer and longer. Anything you touch today, uh, Brent, I could tell you that anything on the on the bigger scale, uh, you can't do it in three years. If, if it's zoned, then maybe if you have anything to do with municipalities, you're going to be with them for a year or two uh, before you get your zoning. And then if you get um, underground and actually start doing the work, then it's going to take you a longer time to build the same building just because now you have new energy code like step code three here or up. Um, requirements that will take everything's taking longer, everything's costing more and more and more, right? Um, but it is different, and that's kind of that. That's that's the issue is that it does feel a bit different in uh, uh, in in that respect that we we haven't seen unemployment hit as hard. Uh, in fact, we're at low record low unemployment today. What do you think, Daniel? Well, I think so. I just posted a chart, actually. Um, and this is U.S. data, but it comes from Visual Cap, and they they just show basically the cyclical, um, like you, you know, we're at a cyclical low in unemployment right now, and and it typically does bottom right before recession. I mean, like, and I think that the correlation, you know, you would assume is economy runs hot because of credit availability, cheap rates, whatever debt, like you know, relatively cheap rates from a debt cycle perspective. Everybody's gainfully employed, businesses are growing, et cetera, et cetera. And then that, you know, causes inflation, inflationary environment. You know, you get a wage price spiral because wages are going up. The cost of goods goes up. Inflation goes up. You need to start fixing it. You go into hiking cycles. I think seven, Steve Soretsky posted something like 70%. I'll, I'll try and find the tweet and put it in the nest here, but like something like 70% of the hiking cycles um, finished in a recession um, or more than that. And then we know that recession has a hundred percent success rate of getting inflation back down to the neutral range. Um, So I, I I think like, I think to me, like the setup, like I think if anything, unemployment just strengthens my perspective that um, we're, we're seeing a setup from the nineties. Like, I think if you look at, 1990 on that chart that I posted, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, we're way, our employment is way, our unemployment, sorry, today is way lower than it was in the 90s, but it's relatively the same. Like if you look at off peak, right? And yeah, that's cyclically. That's, that's probably the Canadian story. But then if you look at the US, right, that's the labor market people are looking for, for the signal in terms of, oh, we're officially in a recession because the labor market's weaker here now. The problem with the US, though, is that they got a flat to declining age uh, demographic, right? Like their demographics are flat to declining. So their labor shortage is actually never really going to get filled unless they go the immigration route or work permit visas, whatever the case may be. And so comparing Canada to the U.S. isn't going to be the same in this context. But touching on your point, which you originally made, that the U.S., you're hearing that they're already in recession. I mean, it's pretty common knowledge, right? The U.S. catches a cold, Canada catches a flu. (laughs) And you're already seeing it with the collapse in uh, freight rates because North America runs on freight. And the collapse in freight pricing is uh, about the worst collapse since the great financial crisis. So the recession's here. 
Yeah, excellent. Do you have you posted that data? Like, I'd love to actually put that in the nest as well. Um, and Donna, yeah, like, if you your hand uh, up there, I'll, I'll find it. But uh, there's been a chart out there that's been circulating showing the same. Okay, I'll see if I can find it as well. But yeah, if you want to share it in the nest, that'd be great. Um, Donna, how's it going? It's going great. And uh, Brent, thanks for talking about broken bones. Okay, my wrist is still broken. So um, I know, I know, like, and it totally sucks. It's starting to feel a little bit better. So, uh, Daniel, just to the point, and and there's a lot of good minds on here tonight. Uh, So to the point that you're making to 1990, I'd like to rewind it by a decade uh, to 1979, 1980. And the parallel between the Trudeau that was in power then and the incredible government spending, um, the incredible inflation, the incredible interest rates, it was a, a never ending, we've never seen anything like it before. And I see nothing on this federal government to pull in the reins, nothing at all to douse this inflation, um, you know, they're making the Bank of Canada's job very difficult. And, uh, you know, they're they're coming a little bit late to the party when it comes to housing. And as uh, I don't know who it was, was it Bilotti or someone was saying about the length of time that it takes to to build, uh, which is, you know, and, and building is very expensive now because land values are so out of control. So this is really reminding me of... Uh, of the 80s and I when all of this started I I kind of thought that this was going to be a hybrid between 80 and 90 Uh, but now that I see the government have no appetite whatsoever and another thing too is I was thinking last night what would the 1980s look like if we had social media okay the gaslighting uh, which I, I hate that term gaslighting but the the constant barrage of 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 media of media posts that come out that say everything's fine you know stop crying you know look how good we are we're the best we're the best you know forget that we're the most indebted of the G7 we're doing the best of the G7 look at us go and i just think that we're just on some crazy train and at the same time We've got interest rates going up. The housing market is, is you know, it certainly isn't anywhere close to what it's been over the, as far as the number of sales. But, you know, I think anyone who's rational or who is, has some critical thinking is taking a look at it and saying, well, that's not the way that I see it. And I've heard several talk about that this tonight. That's not the way that we're seeing it, Justin. Okay, uh, Christia, we're not seeing it like it's it, this is like super great. Families aren't feeling this is super great, but all we're hearing is how great it is. So I'm I'm very concerned uh, where interest rates are headed. I think that the Bank of Canada that we're starting to see these signals come out that uh, you know very opposite to what we have in the past uh, year or two, where it's more austerity, more higher interest rates. Everyone now seems to be getting on this uh, this train. Uh, CMHC, uh, Bank of Canada, everyone's coming up with very hawkish, uh, hawkish statements. So I think that when I just saw the 
the stats there about the number of mortgages that are over 25 or 30 years, but the banks are, are carrying, you know, the changes in the uh, provisions. So I think these are all things that we have to be very concerned about uh, moving forward and, and the Canadian families uh, who are trying to to uh, sustain their, their life and their livelihood in this market. So I'll pass it. I'll pass the mic on. Thanks, Donnie. I really, really appreciate the insight. Um, I do think it is interesting, like from a, and, and a lot of people had predicted that uh, we would see policy error and that we would see monetary and fiscal policy kind of battling one another. And I mean, it is like, I don't know, like, I mean, it, they're just slapping taxes on everything that shows up in like in the CPI basket for, from a, like, the you know, the, um, the fuel was up recently and I think it was sort of right after the, um, the carbon tax and, and whatever. Um, I think there's a tax slapped on alcohol. I think, I mean, so it is like, it is tough. Right. And I think that the other thing is we might get a lot of make work projects happening on the way out, um, that, that could keep the labor market tight. I mean, it's not a policy error. It's it's by design, right? Like, I mean, they're forced to do it. Like, uh, look at the commercial real estate sector, right? I don't know if you remember last winter when we were on these spaces, I told you guys that it's going to get tight because no one's going to give money to these developments if rates keep going up. And all this land is now abundantly available where builders don't want to build anything because nothing pencils out, right? And so they can't keep raising rates. Like, nothing, that's, that's what people don't get is, like, they're forced to pause and they can't keep up with the U.S. Fed. And what's going to happen is Canadians are just going to lose their purchasing power, right? So the CAD is going to get devalued in exchange for avoiding economic collapse. I mean, that's why they're doing it. That's why they paused early compared to the U.S. Fed. The U.S. Fed hiked twice and the Bank of Canada paused early and they're in talks with each other. But either way, like the main point is this. You're in a $70 oil environment. You have a freight demand collapse, you have a freight rate collapse, and you have a commercial real estate collapse on the horizon. I'm not saying that commercial real estate has collapsed completely, but make no mistakes, assets have completely revalued in this interest rate environment for commercial assets. Whether it's multifamily, shopping malls, development land, whatever you're talking about, uh, the prices have changed if you're looking to sell now. So what I would just say that uh, moving forward, that's why you're seeing like these assets like single family homes and tier one holding up so well is because it's the only, you know, kind of bulletproof thing in Canada that you can put your money into. And it's got the most liquidity. And originally nobody believed that 35, 40 year amorts were going to happen. They happened. Right. And then nobody believed the upzoning was going to happen. And to put a floor in prices, they put the upzoning in place. So if you can put four dwellings and you can get the rent out of it, there's only so much your your lot can go down now. Because just on the math basis alone, at a five cap, anything in Toronto or Vancouver is worth 1.5 to 1.8 million dollars, depending where you are. So you know they they they've done what they can to kind of cushion the blow, and it may not feel like we're in a recession right now, but you'll see the headlines pretty soon. It, you know there's a un uncalled un- for hiring freeze taking part in warehouses across Lower Mainland BC where warehouses are just not hiring people. They're not bringing new labor on. And so you haven't seen the headlines play out, but just based off freight alone, that should be your best indicator that we are going to see the recession headlines pretty soon. Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. Um, Vlodia, did you want to jump in here? No, I, I love this discussion. It's it's just fascinating because so many different things are being discussed. And I can confirm that uh, because we have projects across the province and we have industrial projects, 
and we didn't we decided to pause on one of them as far as going to market for sales which because it's industrial and it is stratified so um, the market for industrial strata today is just isn't strong um, so uh, it's cheaper for a developer to capital is just not loyal that's kind of the, the the main the main lesson that some politicians don't quite get and so if we don't see returns today it's cheaper for us to wait before we construct something than if we were to build it and then as they say, build it, they'll come. Well, most people don't do that, <laughs> especially people who are risk averse. And I think development is risky enough already without us compiling more risk on top of it, right? Um, so we are definitely living in a different world. The other thing I want to agree with as well is that it's the um, repricing of the assets. Uh, most people, when they think about commercial real estate, they say that, well, demand and supply, and it's super low supply, so the prices should stay up cap rates should stay low etc reality is it's it's all about the availability of return somewhere else again capital is not um loyal it just flows to whatever the yield is and so if you're providing now yield based based on your bank of canada notes and you're going in um getting better yield at a lower risk somewhere else well you're walking away from this sub four cap rate commercial real estate right you're not going to do that unless you believe that somehow inflation is there to bail you out. So the time of renewal, you will get uh, much, much higher leases, which may or may not be the case. I don't really know. So those are, those are fascinating points. And I think we are in a very interesting environment today. Um, what's what I can't compute in my own brain today is that what I, and this is to Donna's uh, comment, which I absolutely loved. Thanks, Donna. <laughs> is the, you know, you're, you're throwing it back all the way to the 80s and saying, well, in the 70s, if you recall, we still had the gold standard before that was abandoned. And then afterwards, you had the um, uh, peg to US dollar. Well, that was abandoned. And so now we have every currency is a fiat currency. And we are, we're, we're working in a fundamentally different world where there's no respect from the government for any type of debt. Um, it doesn't mean anything to them. Uh, in fact, we think it, it seems like the behavior of the government is often these days that we can tax our way into prosperity. I mean, that's, it's, it's an absolute insanity, but that's, that's kind of the signal that we're getting. And because of that, it becomes, it starts playing at odds with the bank of Canada and, and I guess same thing in the U S um, well, how does that unfold? I mean, you know, yes, numbers are bigger uh, holistically, but they're also proportionately bigger in some ways. And that, that's a cause for concern. Um, is there well, a way out of this? Gonna, <laughs> it's going to result in more taxation, right? They're, I mean, they blew up this asset bubble, right? I mean, it's not like this is by mistake. The asset bubbles here, they're going to claw back, claw back through taxes, like the principal ta uh, residence uh, tax exemption. That's going to be gone. They're going to come for that. All those other, you know, all these assets that have kind of inflated, they, they will come through taxation down the road. And my original point was about commercial specifically. I still think industrials got, got the best legs in the market, you know, in terms of uh, stability and stuff. So I'm talking commercial specifically, like hotels, uh, multifamily, retail plazas, stuff like that. Development land, right? Uh, that's a different classification than industrial altogether. Uh, we can dive into it a bit deeper too, if the group is interested, but if you think about hotels, they seem to be performing just unbelievably well. Maybe people have been uh, starved for recreation, uh, over the COVID years and then, um, just picking up, um, cause we have a deal with a hotel group that's going to go on our site and they're absolutely crushing it right now. Um, the retail sector has been on a downtrend even before COVID COVID certainly, 
um, did a number on it. Um, so good retail though stays. So I'm thinking anything to do with high streets or convenience retail, I would still be quite bullish on that. And then industrial, absolutely, we're in agreement that it is probably one of the strongest assets um, in office being one of the weakest, uh, currently being accepted. And then multifamily, multifamily, I would, I don't know, I'm quite optimistic on multifamily even in today's market because when you think about inflation and how it squeezes the households, uh, it typically means that you, if, if you can't afford to buy something, but you want to, at least you get frustrated when you live in a nicer place. Yeah, uh, that, that, uh, that multifamily we're talking about is for existing stock, right? When it comes to building new stock, you know, if anybody's bought land in the last five years, it's very hard to pencil out in the current rate environment unless you got super deep pockets. You know what I mean? Like uh, the stock, the, the new supply is very hard to come by moving forward. Like you said, just because of the timeline delays but also the fact that the money's just too expensive. And for what people have paid for the development land, it's not it's just not penciling out anymore. Yeah, CMHC is helping with that, uh, just as an FYI. So their, their projects still pencil under CMHC. Some of the CMHC programs, our frustrating fact is that they're raising their um, premiums. Um, so that, that goes but contrary so the, to what the they premium, want. I think the premium thing has such a marginal impact on like the DSCR, right? Like... I guess if, if you're looking at MLA Select as sort of just... So I can just speak to some of the development side. Um, I work for a builder downtown, so I'm kind of seeing some things from their perspective. Um, obviously, land costs are up, taxes are up, development charges are up. Um, their build cost is a lot higher than it was um, even just two years ago. So that's kind of what I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around is even if we do have a recession or a slowdown, we've even seen at the beginning of this year, um, the pre-construction sales dipped quite, quite a lot, uh, almost 60%. And if we're not building and we're already in a housing crisis, how is that going to speak or materialize going forward? especially when we're bringing in so many immigrants. We don't expect them to buy right away, but we know, especially downtown, on average, I mean, a four to five year build time is normal. I think from the developer side, it's more like seven years from taking it from acquisition to planning, uh, sales approvals, all of that, uh, until it's actually ready. So if we're seeing a slowdown now, what's going to happen in four to five years? And I think that that's pretty scary. Even if we have... Um, a correction now and rates go back down and then we head out of that with low rates and no inventory. I just kind of see a perfect storm brewing. Uh, I don't know what everybody else thinks. That's just kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that in combination with the, the Bank of Canada's, um, like the review and their, their recent statements and sort of like they were kind of alluding that rates are going to have to be higher for a longer period of time, which a lot of people have suggested here. Uh, I mean, I think this is why I, I get the idea that this takes a long time to come out in the wash, because like, I think that we still have like, we're currently one third of consumers have felt the rate impact. Um, and um, they, they are estimating that you're going to have to get a hundred percent of people to feel or to renew at higher rates. Right. So, that has a lasting impact like assuming everybody you know like again an equal distribution even if everybody takes a three year or whatever like that still means that you have you're having a sustained economic contraction as a result of everybody paying you know 
two or I don't know, even like 30 to, to 150% more interest. Uh, like it's just like that's money that doesn't get spent on other stuff. And that other stuff is what is the economy. And once you have a, you know, substantial enough increase on the lack of other stuff, then you get a recession. And to me, it's just like that, that's a long recession. Um, the good kind of echoes with what, you know, like, like I think, I don't know. I think a lot of things are a lot of bad shit is going to happen kind of at the same, like all kind of, and I guess that's how the whole recession thing works, but yeah. Um, or, or we could be looking at flat growth, right? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to just yeah, right. come crashing down. It could just be like a stagnant period of like five years of no growth. Right. I mean, yeah. it, 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 like you said, there's a perfect storm, right? You don't have the supply. You have an open door immigration policy and immigrants, you know, they're not there for prices. They're there for rents. Right. Immigrants yep. are renting anyways. And they're going to if they're supplementing the rents at the end of the day, you might just have five years of no growth. I, I just don't like diving into complete bearishness. Right. I mean, ultimately, we still got a lot of positives. It's just there's a lot of debt. And now the question becomes, like, are they going to live with elevated inflation and elevated rates or not? And I mean, it's kind of pointless for for, for us to discuss what monetary policy is going to look like. But one thing is for certain you know, Canadian purchasing power is continuing to trend down. And that's the that's been the case for the last little bit. And that's why I'd argue that you didn't see that massive 50% correction in SFD anyways, because <clears throat> people are using that. It's highly desirable in tier one, and people are trying to hedge their money the best they can. And that's one of those assets that do get a lot of that capital flow. It's an easy one to get into. It's a very liquid market. And uh, it is what it is, right? I mean, it's unfortunate because there's no new single-family detached supply coming. But that's why you saw the run-up in prices since last year. Is because people are pretty much buying what they can because they don't see the supply coming down the road. I think that, uh, I think that yeah. like, um, single-family detached is also, like, it's being upzoned. Like, the, it's, it's, it's value-add right now. Like, I was not, and, and like, I, I still, I would say from a pricing perspective, like, I'm not, maybe necessarily like bullish on, on growth. Like I think that there's a bit, bit of like um, correction probably from a pricing perspective that will happen. I don't know if it needs to, but it will probably just because of um, your, your buyer pool um, and credit you contraction. Remember, you remember the meme I tweeted last year, right? When I said when the upzoning is going to happen and then I had that guy in the meadows on his horse like, I mean, that's literally what took place, right? Yeah. Like, they upzoned, yeah. and it gave a floor to SFD at that point from a no-bid market, and here we are. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's that, like, perfect, but it's close. Like, I, I would agree, it's close. Like, I think that, like, Bill 23, like, when you go province-wide, like, it, it could have one of two effects, right? Because, like, you could also, if it's if it's meaningful and they make it easy to, to, to make supply, then it could also flood supply, and, you you know, you, you don't end up with a housing crisis, relatively like you know it obviously takes a long time to get there but like if we are in a law and, and just kind of like playing the devil's advocate here because like i have my own opinion and, and investment thesis around how i think it's all going to shake out but you know if, if enough people are capitalizing then you very quickly like don't have this insane level of excess demand right like we have a we have we have like a like everyone's like yeah we have two or we don't have enough houses but we have like we have enough square footage right like we have some of the biggest houses in the world we have like on average baby boomers have three more bedrooms than they need like there's a lot That's of right. space in the there's a lot of space for stuff to get converted to, to have meaningful impact from my perspective 
Well, the other question is, why does it have to be a single family home? I mean, I'm one of those immigrants that came here back in, what was it, 2001? And uh, I never lived in a house until I came here. And so uh, at first we rented all together in university years. And then, of course, it didn't take long before I accepted the local status quo that you must have a single family home. Um, so I don't know. My, my, my opinion is we're, we're heading into a more people into similar square footage. And so um, the immigration population starts with a renter. They eventually, at least uh, from what I understand, most of the immigrant, immigrants that are coming in here are actually now coming in with money. So they will want to buy at some point. It's more, um, it's, it's it's definitely more cultural as well. Um, so that that bodes well for some sort of uh, uh, purchasing power down the road. Uh, will they do it right away? Probably not. And the other thing is, is like let, the, today's rates. I know that they're higher than what we've seen, but um, they're not high. <laughs> if we're being honest, it's just that the debts are higher because we re- we've had such a big run up, right? Yeah, but like I think that they're like they're high for like they're they're relatively high like and I think it all is relative right like it's a magnitude issue like they're they're low if 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 like a boomer's like oh yeah like I was borrowing at twenty percent but like yeah they're super low but they're not like it, but if you were borrowing at three and a half percent four years ago and now you're up for renewal at five and a half they're not low right and I think that to me that's the only thing that matters is like how much were people budgeting to pay and now how much do they have to pay? Like, I, I don't know if they're in the point where, where the economy and, and, and apparently it doesn't take the economy long to get hooked on three and a half percent rates enough that five and a half really sucks for the economy. Right. Like that's at least my thought. So I think we're kind of like in a no growth zone for sure. I don't know. It is a, it is a really weird, weird position to be in as an economy. Um, Hey, I, I don't know. I wanted, yeah, exactly. Go I ahead. wanted to interject an idea. What would happen to global economy if Saudi Arabia is going to jack up the oil price? Or, uh, I mean, Russia already cornered like OPEC and, and Saudi is going to bring up the oil, let's say, to 150 bucks a barrel, or let's say $100 a, bar- a barrel, or, or pretty. Higher than we have right now, what would what would happen? Uh, what is your idea? Anybody have any idea on that? Well, you just can't sustain inflation, right? And then, like, I guess stagflation, no growth, and inflation. I think I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's another answer to that, right? Yeah, I believe that's that could be a major. Uh, that could uh, influence. Uh, I mean, inflation would go even higher. And then the Fed not going to be able to decrease interest rate, or is it going to be even forced to increase it? And what would happen next? I mean, what uh, do you I don't know. Get? Honestly, I mean, I, well, I think it would just it, you'd be we'd be pretty messed up if that was the position. I think I don't know. I mean, I think you just have sustained inflation at that point, and then they kind of I don't I don't think a rate does anything, right? I, I mean, mean but, worse. I mean, that, but what is the chance? What I mean, what if is the chance it's going to happen? Anybody, an expert okay. in oil? So, so, so let's go with that, right? It's possible. One hundred fifty, two hundred dollar oil. What are they going to do? They're going to build TMX. They're not going to have a choice. They're going to have to get that Canadian oil right. going to the U.S. They won't exactly. have a choice. So that and that is the plan, right? I mean, ultimately, what you need to happen. I mean, I don't know if you guys know who Anis Halaji is. He's the biggest oil expert on Twitter. He follows me back because mm-hmm. I said the same thing. I said, hey, 
if the war goes on or for whatever reason supply gets constrained and oil goes to 200 250 bucks the pain in north america would be bad enough that they would just say hey we got to get this pipeline going and canadian oil will rebound off that so i mean that is that is ultimately the only play card left at that point they got to put the pipeline in because they can't sustain but that how, type of energy price how long would it take to get this going i mean Saudi Arabia can just, uh, you know, said, "Hey, we cut in production." Well, I mean, I, I don't, it. I don't know how much we're going to entertain hypotheticals, but I would just say that, you know, you have a change at the helm federally here, and you have a change at the helm federally down south. It's going to happen sooner than later. Yeah, got it. Okay, guys, very good. Thank you. Thanks, well, I would argue you need to have a motivation to do that. And what would be the benefit for them for doing that right now? alienating everybody else so china is relying on that as well for all of the product production so i don't know yeah and that's why i don't like hypotheticals at that level when it comes to geopolitical there is no real playbook that uh, that we're gonna have a solid answer for right all i can tell you is that we are entering a phase of uh globalism's winding down protectionist policies are coming into place they're bringing the supply chains back to america and stuff ultimately we are going to see energy independence in north america you know they don't want to rely on foreign sources and they don't want their economy held hostage by uh, energy prices that are being outsourced so i mean th those are all factors to keep in mind even why i'm bullish on canada in general right i mean we have no physical gold at the central bank because we have it all in the ground in mountains right and uh, we don't need gold because we have the third world's largest proven oil reserves. I mean, Canada is very well positioned heading into the next few years of like slow growth. And we're not going to be the only ones in a slow growth environment. You know, everybody in the world except India is the only one that's going to have a positive uh, a growth environment moving forward. So I'm not sure if we need a pity party. I mean, essentially, we could just be in a slow growth environment for a few years. And who knows? Who knows where the growth is going to come from? But uh, I'm still pretty optimistic long term. I, I am as well, but I think like what, everything that you're describing to me like tells me that we need to, to to diversify our economy outside of housing, right? And like, and that that's like, I, and everything that I'm like when I when I talk about like the housing cycle, where we're at in it, it coming to an end, you know, I think like the the '90s is a great example actually from my perspective because like in the '90s, like it was you couldn't find somebody, and this is like why a lot of baby boomers are like afraid of investing in real estate because. There was this like big secular change and everybody like a lot of people got decimated during that period of time trying to invest and speculate in real estate. And now they're like, oh, no, I'm not going to fucking touch that thing. And and I think we need to get to a point where our perspective around housing is like that again. It's not this commoditized or like speculative asset. It's not this like levered up like savings rocket ship that everybody thinks that it is so that we can have capital going towards more productive things in the, in the Canadian economy, especially because I would agree with you. There's so much opportunity to make money in Canada outside of housing. And the fact that we've concentrated so much capital into housing in this country is, is a shame, honestly. You know, listen, like our housing in Canada is artificially supply constrained. OK, it's, it's by design that this these prices the lack of supply, I mean, this is a political choice, ultimately. And I mean, if you really want to know what could kickstart the economy for growth is really new infrastructure and resource extraction. But just off infrastructure, we haven't even built a new city. You know, we got the GTA, but they're not building new highways to access, like, all the landmass that we have available. And that, you know, we could get into that rabbit hole, but that goes against ESG climate change agenda, right? Because if you're going to build more houses, well, you need more gas lines, you need more resources, you need energy. Right. And so they're going on a green agenda 
but we need housing, those two things don't really align with each other. And overall, just, uh, you know, Canada's been on hooked on real estate to the point that, you know, bringing on more supply is not great uh, when you already have all your eggs in one basket. So there, there is a lot of politics and the direction of the country has kind of fallen off. But I'm hoping that, you know, over over the years, it seems like we are going in a different direction politically. Let's see. Let's see. But I mean, new infrastructure is also a big uh, potential question mark about kickstarting the economy in Canada once we try getting out of the slow phase. Yeah, yeah. I guess the question just comes down to like, do will we have any money to spend on new infrastructure post current government? Like it's, I mean, it's like I, I think feel like kind of a rational fear, right? Like I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Um, yeah, isn't maybe. it a catch twenty two, Daniel? Like that's totally about you know you need to, in order to get the money, you need to have booming economy, and in order to produce the booming economy you need infrastructure so you need to spend the money well in order to get the money you can like i mean there's no sh- like they have the they can get the money through tax like you don't need them the the economy was a booming economy is currently still a booming economy based on the metrics that they're using like there's a lot of taxable there's a lot of revenue i think that there's one way is to have the money and the other way is to keep it right like I mean, I think Powell said it best during during like some of the debt ceiling conversations to to the senators in the states. He's like, "Look, guys, like I, I'm not the one spending the money here. Like, I think maybe a bit of fiscal responsibility, uh, saving for a rainy day, might might like could also be the answer to your question." Yeah, I, I don't know if you can actually get the money any more taxes raises because you can trust the politicians need to do whatever it takes to get reelected. And given the uh, the crunch on, on sort of Canadians and their direct pocket hit on inflation and housing and everything else, I, I think it would be the political suicide to try to raise anything through taxes anymore. They've already done enough. I think any further, uh, if anything, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, like my vision for the future is uh, some inflation is not so bad for the government. <laughs> and so it just can't be so high that people complain and vote them out. Um, so that if it stays um, lower than that, but above the target rate, it's not so bad. And then the base year effect kind of takes care of the rest and you get where you need to go. Uh, the rest, you still need to find your way to have a vibrant and booming economy, right? Yeah, I guess the it is, yeah, it is interesting too. Um, I mean, like that's sort of just how your political economic cycles happen, right? You basically switch from fiscal, like like inflationary, a politician to non-inflationary politician but I, I think you know the, the base year effect part was interesting because i think in the most recent print um in uh, mortgage costs were like tw- up 28.5 percent so the base year effect is having the, the adverse effect on that cpi right because the biggest yeah. hikes were in may may and june so in two months i guess in two months like the that that the mortgage cost increase will be behind us um at least for for the variable side, but it's like the same thing. Like I don't know, you, they can't fucking win, and they're fighting inflation with inflation on that. Given like how 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 much the uh, mortgage cost contributed to the last print, uh, I thought that was actually remarkable. Um, to your yeah, point, I haven't had you on here in a while. How's how's it going, man? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. You uh, you still on this side of the border or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. Uh, just came back from Turkey. Uh... On Monday, so nice, man. What do you feel? Uh, what are you feeling in regards to this uh, wonderful economy we got going on here? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, some some interesting things. Uh, I've been putting some stuff out um, lately uh, on kind of the insolvencies and uh, what we're seeing in, in mortgage rate trends. So, I mean, a lot of interesting stuff going on, um, at least in, in the Canadian aspect. Yeah, I think um, Doug Hoyes put up a couple of good charts for insolvencies as well. Like, I think it was insolvencies, savings, um her household savings was uh were both kind of like reversions in their trends and just like not looking too good um any major cause for concern here yet for the canadian economy like how bad do you think things could get no i'll I'll put some stuff uh up in the nest give me one second so like uh the the first thing that i i posted on today is just kind of the the aggregate um um, mortgage loans that we're seeing. So the the aggregate new growth in mortgage loans, uh, that's well above um, its linear trend. So linear trend should be about uh, uh, 2,050,000. Uh, 2, uh, um, right now, Canada's at about um, uh, 2,100,000, so slightly above trend. Uh, on a linear aspect, um, so it, you know mortgage growth is slowing, but nevertheless, uh, still still well above trend. Um, you know, and uh, what I was looking at for the insolvency aspect. Um, give me one second here. This is the uh, Bank of Canada rate um, insolvencies and proposals versus bankruptcies. Obviously, bankruptcies, insolvencies, and proposals coming off lows um, because of you know. Um, kind of uh, consumer protection that kind of went through throughout COVID. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, um, kind of my base case uh, is for, um, you know, I, I think that uh, you start to see economic growth slow uh, in the coming ends of the year, um, probably closer to the end of the year, December-ish, uh, maybe the beginning of next year. And that's where you'll actually, I believe, start to see the um, labor market um, loosen. Um, and what's interesting about those current proposals and insolvency trends is we have to think about how tight the labor market is in the fact that, you know, you're already seeing an increase in proposals and insolvencies. So you haven't even seen layoffs and people are already starting to be tapped just from a capacity standpoint. Um, so I think that things are actually going to get worse. Um you know, obviously, I, I work for one of the banks. You know, they, they pr- reported uh, um, yesterday, you know, we're seeing provisions uh, across the board uh, increase. Um, so you are seeing an increase in provisions. Um, you know, one of the banks yesterday missed uh, EPS, but they, uh, you know, obviously you can't cut dividend um, because that would be, you know, absolute uh, blasphemy for a Canadian bank. But, um, you know, the fact that we're seeing provisions start to, to increase where Canadian banks have been very weak. Um, and loan loss provisions um, relative to gross impaired loans. Um, you know, I, I think that this is the bank starting to move into a more conservative positioning standpoint. So it should be interesting here if now, you know, that aggregate data that you get from the Bank of Canada um, for loan officer surveys, um, you know, which is saying that, you know, banks on aggregate or, or loan officers on aggregate say that, you know, conditions are tightening. We actually haven't seen that in the, the monthly kind of uh, credit impulse models that I built, uh, you know, um, Net new loans have been pretty high, but I do believe that that's going to start to contract here, uh, probably going into the end of the year. Yeah, fair enough. I think um, 
banks like year over year look bad on like what you're saying, like loan loss provisions and stuff. But during that period of COVID, like when there was just so much exception around it and liquidity, like it would look bad year over year. But I think we're still in line with like pre-COVID, like if you go back to 2019, right? Um, I think uh, somebody else in, in regards to 2019, somebody else asked me in a message. I don't even know if he's still here. I apologize for getting this question so late, but um if uh, like what what people thought it would take for volumes to get back to 20 real estate sales volumes to get back to 2015 2019 range i i don't know if he means to go up to there um like because or because like right now i think we're at like kind of that i guess we're a little bit below that range um but still well below like or, or su- super below like i guess the market was running like 30 percent hot during um during covid right um from my perspective like at least what i'm seeing is like a combination of financial stress and like because i i do think that's materializing in the market a little bit um people selling stuff that's not performing or capital costs are too high or just too cash negative or whatever combination of that like those deals offloading and um you still have like some some buyers being opportunistic now that prices have come down um that might actually increase volume like i actually i actually think transaction volume would go up a lot in a in a in a recessionary environment if prices kind of correct accordingly like i don't know it just seems to be prices prices are softening right like i mean if you're looking at west coast even you can tell prices have softened um but let's keep in mind right from q3 q4 of last year we're probably up 20 percent on sfd so, you know, if you have like a 10% correction, it still doesn't really mean much, right? There's a bit of a, it's fluff that gets taken out of the market, really. But are we going to see a 20% correction? I don't think so. It's not likely. But still, like, you know, seeing a little bit of a pullback isn't going to be a big surprise heading into the summer here. And I don't know if somebody's going to look at that and say, oh, see, the market's crashing because they're not going to remember that Well, we haven't even hit last year's prices yet, right? And last year was almost a no-bid market. Yeah, and I think you'll you're gonna still have positive year over year figures, right? So like it won't like again like people just re- like a lot of people don't even really know what data to rely on, and so like you can either look at a month over month or or a year over year, and somebody can tell you a completely different story, right? Um, I think um, I think if people are still hearing that because like starting probably next month, um, prices are gonna be up year over year if they're not already, right? Or starting sorry like this month. Prices will be up year over year, likely, um, and even if so, but even if they start coming down or they're flat year over year, like what you're saying, like they could be ten percent off peak on, on the second peak, like let's call it the bull trap peak um, of spring of this year. If prices drop ten percent or five percent from today, they could still be up year over year, and and the the marginal buyer would have that information and be like, oh, everything's okay, like prices aren't going up. Most people want to buy like when prices are flat, it seems like, um, you get the odd, like FOMO group and whatever. But so I think people are afraid of that, like, um, face ripping rally market environment as well. Now, I mean, it, it depends on the market, right? Like, I mean, if we're talking like core areas, those are different, right? Uh, but like a lot of places have never even recovered from the 30% correction we saw from peak of 21, right? A lot of those places are still down a couple hundred grand. So I, I, I just think it's, it is regional at that point. 
but uh, the, the anecdotal is that if you do softening or, or if you do see softening moving forward, I just don't know how much you can read into that as like, oh, see, it's going to get worse. Like, there's still no supply coming, right? And there's only so much you're going to spend on rent um, before people are going to pull the trigger again and, and start that up. But it's unfortunate, man. Like, a lot of people listen to me and they think that I'm some permable when it comes to real estate, when realistically, you just got to look, look at the numbers, man. There's just not enough houses for people and SFD is desirable. I understand, you know, the other speaker is saying that it's, it's, it's a, maybe a cultural thing or whatever the case is, but the sad reality is you just can't raise, fam- you can't raise families in shoe boxes in the sky. You know what I mean? There's only so long you can spend in those ty- in that type of product before you got to upgrade or, or, or get into a house with a yard. And the unfortunate thing is for most families is that, that's the market that's the most desirable. Even if you're an investor or if you're a first time buyer or you're upgrading, whatever the case is, that is the supply that's crucial. And um, that is not something that's coming online anytime soon. And just on that basis alone, you know, that's the unfortunate thing in Canada is like you could have a very slow economy. That doesn't mean people are going to want to give up their house, you know, because there's just nowhere for them to go. Yeah, I, I guess it remains to be seen, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, I do think there are sources fr- from which supply could appear. Um, not, you know, not obviously not like new construction, like what you're describing, but I don't know if like, like I do think ex- excess square footage is an interesting conversation when you talk about upzoning and all that stuff. Um, I think about the question mark of like what baby boomers are going to do with their houses over the next 10 years is a, is an interesting question mark. Like, that's why I do think, like, you know, and sort of when you described, like, a no-growth scenario for a long period of time, I could see that kind of being, like, and that's why when I compare it to the 90s, like, that's kind of what I mean. It's, like, I think we already saw the big drop that headed into the 90s, right? Like, there, there was a 20% sell-off at the beginning of the 90s, and then the market kind of, it rode its cycles, but it kind of traded sideways or, slow, like, slightly down or, si- like, let's just call it sideways for, like, fucking seven years, right? Like, it was slowly down another five percent over four years 89 to 94 i think right and then it took four or five years for confidence to get back in the market um and like peak to trough like to recover back to just the nominal price was 12 years right 89 in 2002 and then you know if you adjust that for inflation it was like 2012 so like I, I, that's really the setup that i think makes a lot of sense from my perspective and i think that would actually be a really good thing for the canadian economy um gk i saw you had your hand up there did you want to jump in oh yeah yeah i mean uh, thanks for the invitation uh, so i think this this oil argument is a bit uh, is not correct i don't think saudi arabia can really control oil prices because this opec cartel is not really cooperating is that they, they are competing with each other you know iraq or other countries are basically putting sanction oil on the market and it's not content, you know. So China's reopening is weak and oil is basically after two major cuts by OPEC plus, it still is basically going down. I think the concern on recession is much stronger now than growth. We are not talking about uh, close to zero growth anymore. We are talking about a global economy weak weak economy globally, basically China, West, everyone is going to be weak. And this is going to be a major issue for Canada because uh, one of the reasons that Bank of Canada has concern about this mortgage box, you know, the uh, household uh, 
basically debt is that this debt is sitting on big six banks, you know, two trillion dollars of mortgage. Where is it? It's in 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 ninety percent of these mortgages are owned by big five, right? And who who is who was the basically on basically insurer? You have three insurers for the high ratio mortgages. So this is extremely concentrated risk. And it's rightfully flagged, but it's not something new. It's not something new that figured out this this cycle. It was known in 2018, 2017, 2014, and 2015, actually. This has started. So the issue is here. If, if there is a major correction in real estate market in Canada, what happens? The scenario is this. If there is a major correction, and then the U.S., which is our largest uh, partner, basically we have a ton of export-import from U.S., right? So if they enter into recession, definitely our export is going to suffer, right? So major correction in real estate plus, plus a recession which is spilling over from from United States into Canada definitely is going to make situation much worse. Is going to make the job of Bank of Canada much harder to basically revive this economy because, because in any economy, household usually relies on housing for access to credit because when you put your house as a as a collateral you get access to cheaper credit you know if if you go and get a HELOC HELOC and a LOC they have a one percent spread difference right minimal so this is a major concern for Bank of Canada but at the same time Bank of Canada knows inflation is also a major issue so what's the solution there are a few ways to to basically do this one is that to hike right but quite honestly Hiking 25 basis points or 50 basis points on the short end of the curve is not going to do much to the to the whole uh, uh, sentiment, right? If you look into the bond yield, bond yield is reaping not because of Bank of Canada signaling any hike. It's, it's coming from U.S. It's the high correlation that is coming from Treasury yield spilling into Canadian yield. So the solution is Bank of Canada to talk. You know, 90%, 98% of monetary policy is talking 2% is action. Unfortunately, Bank of Canada has been silent in the past year. They are not trying to maximize on this policy by talking consumer and the market into basically holding off on further purchases. Another issue is that their pause was not time, basically timed correctly. They should have paused at, at right now. Basically, they should have gone through the uh, spring market and then they could have paused now. And then the sentiment was not that strong because we were past the seasonality behavior that we have, right? That was another thing that Bank of Canada basically made a huge mistake by. They didn't need to basically keep hiking. They could have escaped one month, one hike, another month, escape, another hike. This is what Fed is planning to do. Fed is planning to basically escape June and do a hike in July because they think that the data accumulation is better. They will have a better view on the about this uh, credit issue with the regional banking. They will have they have this debt ceiling negotiation on their hands. So they are going to escape and do one hike later on, and it allows them to stretch these hikes on a longer time and keep the sentiment basically in check. But they have the same issue like us. They have the issue with housing and Waller, Fed Waller basically came out with a paper and a talk and said that okay, if housing is reviving in United States. It may spill into the rents. Some of the good deflation that they had was coming from the housing, right? And that's gone. If that's gone in a few months, then they are trapped. They are, they are, they are, they are going to deal with a highly sticky 
inflation that cannot be managed because the deflation part, which was for them, like always when you hear, when you listen to Powell, he was saying inflation X housing, core inflation X housing. He wanted services X housing because he was thinking that housing is in full deflation and they are really done with it. But if this thing revives, then inflation becomes much more sticky. It becomes entrenched. And it becomes a major issue because because then you cannot have zero interest rate policy when your infl- inf- inflation is four five percent, right? You have to deal with it. I think Fed eventually will trigger a recession. Nothing short of a recession is going to satisfy Powell for a cut, and that may take a year, a year and a quarter to come. Two thousand seven was like that. The last hike to the first cut was one year and a quarter apart. There is a huge chance that. Basically, no cut comes even in 2024. So these cuts may not come soon enough to save people with this duration risk because, because there is too much pressure on people because of this debt load that we have in Canada. And Canada cannot cut before Fed. Sure, they cannot hike like Fed. We, my, 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 my thesis was that 75 basis point up to one basis point, 100 basis point difference between the Fed fund rate and Bank of Canada overnight rate is going to be tolerated, right, by Bank of Canada, which we are basically in that range. But inflation, it becomes a sticky and it sticks at, say, 3.5% or 4%, then Bank of Canada needs to react. And that produces that, that basically further, basically the risk becomes much larger because when you hike more, then there is a chance that something starts to break in Canadian economy. But I think, the, I think that's a feature, not a bug, right? Like the yeah. idea is that something breaks, you get a recession, recession brings rates down to the neutral range. Um, do, do you want to do anything? Ideally, you don't want a recession. Bank of Canada never said, I want... Um, but they would choose a recession over inflation, I think. They will choose it, but they want to control the magnitude of this recession. Remember that. They don't yeah. want to, to, to... Basically, you push the first, first domino and suddenly 100 domino follows and then basically everything goes down and you cannot control it. The issue is that controlling the magnitude of this recession... And what happens if U.S. is in, in recession and Canada is in recession? So it's going to amplify Canadian recession. So that's that's the dilemma that Canadian Bank of Canada is really facing. Bank of Canada may be independent, but it is really impacted by Fed policies. You know, Fed is much more important. Fed is the ultimate central bank that you want to follow. You know, that's that's the reality that we're facing. You know. Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch on this. I, I actually had a conversation with Steve Eisenman. Um, who many of you might know as Mark Baum from The Big Short. Um, And I want to try to get him on. Uh, David was actually there for that as well. I I want to try to get him on to discuss Canadian banks. Um, And I actually posed this question to him, and I put something up in the nest. Um, And this is, you know, uninsured deposits for some of the largest banks um, in in the U.S. But what's interesting is obviously Bank of New York Mellon is there, and obviously, you know, for the macro tourists, people should be aware that that is a custodian bank. But nevertheless, CIBC is there, but CIBC also has a joint venture with, you know, CIBC Mellon. Um, You have BMO Harris uh, there. Um, You have City National Bank, which is a subsidiary of uh, RBC. Um, You have Bank of the West, which has now also been bought by BMO. Um, so I know everybody's been talking about the, 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 the banking crisis in the U.S., um, but if you actually look at some of these banks ranked by uninsured deposits, because can, can, Canadian banks don't have deep capital markets, right? Like, you know, even RBC compared to, 
um, you know, uh, a bank in the U.S. is, is a complete joke. Um, and, you know, I, GK's talked about this, this as well. You know, if, if, if you're working, you know, capital markets um, for CIBC and, or, or Scotia in, in New York, it's kind of a joke, right? Because you're really a nobody. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, um, you know, when I had this conversation uh, with Steve Eisenman, you know, it, it seems that a lot of those guys, and there's some other guys who left his firm that I want to have on um, as well, um, who, you know, we were kind of talking about the issues um, in, you know, um, the, the banking sector within Canada, and they share a lot of that sentiment, right, um, that, uh, you know, this is something that Canadian banks aren't... Um, you know, essentially uh, cleared from as well. Um, so in, even if you look at, as, um, you know, money market fund flows versus deposits, which a lot of those money market funds are, are you know, held by the banks, but then you do have, you know, Vanguard, Fidelity, et cetera here, um, you are starting to see those deposit flows out of uh, Canadian banks and, uh, and into money market fund assets. Again, a lot of those just are kind of from the left hand to the right hand. But nevertheless, I, I do think that there's a lot of kind of worrisome things. And, you know, I'll bring it back to, you know, if you look at the, the aggregate loan loss provisioning, I, I posted this question to, uh, to Steve Eisenman as well. Um, it is, you know, if you kind of look at just uh, basic cyclical risk management, um, you're con continuing to see those things where, um, you know, gross impaired loans relative to increases in provisioning is not adequate. Um, and so, you know, to some extent that is worrisome. Um, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, it's, it's something that I think that, uh, I'm not saying Canada, he did, you know, follow this up by saying Canada won't have a bank failure because you can't essentially shorten oligopoly, right? Um, which I would, I would broadly agree with him, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, I, I think that there is a lot of risk, um, contained within this because, you know, it's, uh, as GK was talking about, Canada's not the United States. These banks can't offload this into mortgage-backed securities and then sell them. Um, you know, a lot of that's sitting on these balance sheets of the banks. Um, and so then you have kind of that two-tier issue um, in the sense that, you know, the underlying of a mortgage is, uh, is, uh, is a house, which is marked to market. So if you get, you know, large contractions um, within house prices, that poses an issue because those are all on balance sheet, right? So... Um, you know, I, I'm not saying it's going to be a catastrophe, but, uh, you know, a, a, a normal credit cycle um, within Canada uh, could be absolutely um, kind of a, a big, um, a, a big kind of way for earnings compression for the Canadian banks, because it's sometimes they have to change the way that they are accounting for you know, their, their bucket one and in, in the, in the, uh, uh, their bucket one of mortgages. And then obviously you can go through that and they break it down, you know, commercial, et cetera. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I do think that there, you know, if you're looking at increases in gross impaired loans on aggregate versus um, increases in, uh, in loan loss provisions, that is something to continue to monitor. Um, the second thing is, you know, if you look at Canadian AT1s, uh, you know, their tier one capital uh, bonds while they're coming down, um, you know, all bite, there was a little bit of stress um, within those AT1s. But again, it's, it's not like, you know, fixed or perpetual cocos in Europe. Um, you know, they, they're, they're structured differently. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, I, I think that those AT1s were showing that, 
you know, that bank stress has started to, to kind of ease. But I, I do think that it's still something to monitor, especially going forward, depending on, you know, continued guidance from the Bank of Canada. Thanks, dear. Always, uh, always exceptional insights from you. Um, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm pretty satisfied with this discussion here, unless anybody has anything else to, uh, to add before we wrap up. No. Okay. I hope you all have a wonderful, uh, wonderful weekend. Um, I, uh, I might move these now that the weather's getting nicer. I think last year I did summer hours and I'm, I might uh, move these back to like earlier in the day. I know a lot of people didn't, uh, didn't love that, but I might put a poll out to just see if, uh, if I can move them to like during the work day, maybe on, uh, on Thursdays uh, for cottage country and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. Um, I'll put a poll out, but, uh, but next week we'll be at kind of the same time, I think. Yeah, man. Yeah. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you hosting the space. Great job. Thanks. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks guys. Have a good one. Take care.